Hey, how we doing? Well, if you're that excited, let's just go home. Call it done, man. We're, we're already through here. As we get started, I just want to, I want to do a shout out to our Santan campus, to Scottsdale. Just so proud of you guys and thrilled for you to be joining us. And I don't know if you guys all get it. We, we have tons of people who join us online every single week. So the reality is this room is bigger than this room. It's just really, really fun what God is using us to do and the influence that he's given us just to speak the name of Jesus out loud. And so everyone who's part of this service, man, we're just thrilled you're with us. And today we're wrapping up a series uh, on the life of David. We've called this series The Unlikely Story of a King because it is an incredibly unlikely story. I mean, stop thinking about this. David's not even in the kingly line. Uh, he starts off as a shepherd boy. There's no chance this kid ends up being king of Israel, and yet God sees something in him. There's, there's something so pure, uh, so courageous. There, there's attributes of his life that God says, I've got to promote him. And uh, we've been just kind of unpacking those things and saying, what are the behaviors that David had? What are the attitudes and the life lessons that we learn? And if we could incorporate that so that God would say to us, I, I just got to I've got to promote them. I've got to use them in better and greater ways in their life. And we've been learning a lot uh, studying his life. It's interesting because everything up until now has been up and to the right. I mean, everything right now, we just go, man, David, you are so on. And uh, what a cool story. Today's different. Uh, today, David's going to get off track. Uh, today, David's going to do stuff that we're going to look at and just go, David, what, what were you thinking how, how did something that simple mess you up uh, so badly? And, and here's what we're going to discover today. Uh, it's not a giant that defeats David. It's his own emotions. Uh, he's going to have a moment, and, and suddenly his heart is going to grow fearful. His, his insides are going to seize up, and, and, and his heart's going to say, David, this is the only thing you can do. This is how you have to respond to them. It's going to be exactly wrong. It's going to be the worst thing he could possibly do in the moment, and yet because his emotions are so overwhelming in that moment because he, he can't get to the right, he's going to follow. He's going to run completely off track, and he's, he's going to take his life to a horribly dark place, and tons of people are going to be affected by it. How many of you have ever skied? Okay, all right, so some of you guys will get this, some of you in the room that haven't. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you that the most terrifying day of skiing is the first day of skiing. Uh, it just is. And the reason you hear the laughter is because everybody who's experienced knows this. So you, you get that there's, there's the mountain and there's all these different runs and there's really steep runs and there's middle grade runs. There's all that stuff. But you don't start out there. You start out on this horrible, terrifying place called Bunny Hill uh, when you first start skiing. No, 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 no. I'm not being serious. It is horrifying. Now, here's the deal. When you walk out on Bunny Hill, Bunny Hill is so flat, you can hardly even perceive the grade. Okay, uh, but here's what happens. Uh, they take you, they strap you into boots that are then clicked into sticks on your feet. And suddenly, even though there's, there's barely a perceptible grade on Bunny Hill, something terrifying happens, and that is your feet begin to move out from under you. And in that moment, your heart says to you, this is bad. Because every other time in my life when I have experienced this, something really painful immediately followed. And so what happens in that moment is that your heart begins to seize up and you go, I've got to do something, I've got to do something, I've got to do something. 
And the thing that is most intuitive in that moment, the thing that emotionally feels so right in that moment is to lean back on your skis because you have the feeling that your skis are moving forward, you're losing that center of gravity, and so I've got to lean back to balance myself out. Now, here's the problem. When you lean back on a pair of skis, you take all of the weight off the center of the ski, you begin to lift the nose of the ski, and all of the weight goes onto the tail, which means this. It's the front of the ski that controls the ski. So you have now lost all control. You are moving at thousands of miles an hour, and something really horrible is now inevitable because of how you've responded to the moment. Uh, the actual answer is that you've got to do exactly the opposite of what your heart is telling you. You've got to, what feels so convincingly true in your heart in the moment is exactly the opposite in what you have to do. And so here's what you tell every beginning skier. Look, look, look. You're going to get on this hill. We're going to strap you in those skis. You're going to feel your feet moving. You're going to want to lean back. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Matter of fact, you ready? In that moment, lean forward. Lean into the ski. Here's why. You want to get your weight to the front of the ski because the way that you steer skis is by turning on the edges. And you've got to keep your weight forward and those edges engaged on the ski. And here's the really cool part. Remember for this? Turning is what slows you down and keeps you under control. It's a big lesson. Because you and I over and over and over again in our lives are gonna have moments that intuitively our heart sees up and in that moment of fear we go, oh, I know exactly what my feelings are telling me to do. Matter of fact, here's what we did. We took the ski slope. And we turned it into an exclamation point to remind us all through this conversation we're gonna to have to, there's gonna be a moment when the emotions of the moment are just gonna whoop up into your life and you're gonna go, I know, I know, I know what I need to do and you're gonna intuitively, and here, ready? Although your emotions are real, that doesn't mean they're truthful. And, and although those emotions are really happening in the moment, and I get it, and fear is seizing, and, 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 and you're going, I can't, even though that's a real moment, it may not be a helpful moment in your life. It's exactly what's going to happen in the life of Jesus. I guarantee you we've all had moments. We came home from work, and in that moment of coming home from work, the boss has been unreasonable and a cruddy, cruddy person. You pull in the driveway, the kid's toys are in the driveway. You get inside the house, the dog bites you. There's smoke all through the room, dinner is already burnt. And there's a part of you that in that moment, in emotion, in anger, seizes up and says, you know what the right thing to do right now? The right thing to do right now is to emotionally vomit on everybody in the house, because they need it. And I would feel so much better. And you get that all that, that anger, that, that emotion of that moment may be very, very real. And, and you could say, I, I came about it honestly. It doesn't change the fact that that emotion is not helpful. That if you live in that emotion in that moment, you have the potential to have things tumble out of your mouth 
that your children will remember for a lifetime. You have the potential to wound the heart of your spouse over toys in the driveway. And although our emotions may be real, it doesn't mean they're truthful. It doesn't mean they help us interpret the moment. And guys, you need to watch because David is not going to be slain by a giant. He's going to be slain by his emotions. So take your Bibles, go with me. It's 1 Samuel chapter 21. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible and then you work to the right, you're going to come to this uh, passage of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 21. Uh, while you're going there, let me, let me give you uh, just a little bit of background. Where we're jumping back into the story, uh, we're actually kind of reversing courses a little bit. So this moment that you and I are taking a look at happens after David has slain Goliath, uh, but it happens before the moment in the cave. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago where David went in, he cut the corner off of uh, Saul's uh, cloak. So this moment is between the slaying of Goliath and the cave moment. And what's happening here, uh, this is during a period of time in which uh, Saul has become jealous of David. He's tried to kill David because he realizes that David's become popular, that he's kind of eclipsed his own son, Jonathan, in uh, the line for the throne. And Saul just says, look, I'm going to get rid of David. And so he's attempted to kill him. And now David is on the run. Now, guys... Think about how ridiculous that is. Th think about how amazingly absurd it is that David's on the run. David has killed Goliath. Goliath. The, the thing, and he's running, he's running from Saul, the very one who was afraid of Goliath. Matter of fact, Saul is so afraid of Goliath that he's allowed Goliath for 40 days to come out and to spare the armies of God. For 40 days, Saul hid in his tent from Goliath. Saul is so afraid of Goliath that when a little 16-year-old shepherd boy steps up and says, I'll do it, Saul is willing to let him go to the slaughter rather than Saul finally stepping up and taking his rightful place. And now, think of how the tables are turned in this moment. Now David, the giant slayer, is afraid of the man who was afraid. How crazy is this? And here's what's happening. Get the moment. Here's what's happening. Rather than walking in faith, David is walking in his emotion. Which, which, guys, this needs to signal a huge thing. Because it is possible for you and I to be absolutely walking with God, to be absolutely on track with God, and then to have the emotion of a moment hit us face on. And suddenly to defer to that moment to say, this is what feels right right now. This is what my heart's telling me right now. And I know it's probably not what God would say, but I'm just telling you, this feels so powerful in my life. And to completely get off track for God because we live in the emotion of the moment. Now, I know some of you are going, well, wait a minute. Why would David even do that? I mean, this guy's already a guy of huge faith and he's already accomplished so much. How, how does this moment come up and bite him like that. I think, I think maybe it's because at this point in David's life, he has more to lose. I remember uh, 
I was 15 years old. And uh, I was sitting in a service in my little church, and God was doing something to my heart, and I just, I thought, you know what, I, I just need to surrender my life. I was already a Christian. Uh, this was a lordship moment. This was just me saying, hey, God, look, you've got all of me. I, I'm, I'm fully committing everything that I am, my, everything I have, my future to you. So I go walking to the front of the church. I'm 15 years old. I say to the pastor, hey, I just want to surrender, give my entire life to Christ. And... Uh, in my bank account, I had, I think, negative $27. And so I just said in that moment, God, you can have it all. It, it's all <laughs> yours. Do whatever you want. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm older now. And uh, I've had kids. And, you know, it gets a little harder to go, well, God, you can have all of me, but I, I'm not too sure how I feel about if you were to take my kids. And, you know, I've had a career, and I, I, I don't know, God, if I lost my job or if I lost my house. See, it just kind of feels like there's more at stake now than when I was a 15-year-old kid. See, I think David's facing the same moment. See, David, since he's killed Goliath, has been promoted. He's been allowed to marry Saul's daughter, so he's kind of a prince in Israel. He's living in a really, really cool house. He's got status and an entourage that goes around with him. His camel's got an L on the grill. I mean, he's doing good. He's doing good. And I think in the heart of David, it just, it just feels like there's more to lose this time around than it did when he was a 16-year-old kid chasing giants. And I just want to say to you, if you're in the room and if you've given your life in lordship to Jesus, and I'm talking about being a Christian, I'm talking about you've surrendered and said, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, I'll be whatever I need to be. Although that's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime decision, my guess is this, that multiple times in your life, you'll have to emotionally go back to that moment and say, God, I know. I know the stakes are a little higher than they were when I was 15, and I know they're, but I'm just gonna, re, I'm just gonna say again, you got all of me. I, I, I'm all in. And I think David's struggling with that moment right now in his life. It, it feels bigger to him. And so now, in fear, he's running from Saul. In fear of what he might lose, in fear of what it might cost, he's running from Saul. So here's the passage. Let's go. It's 1 Samuel chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Here we go. David went to Nob. It's a little town not too far outside of Jerusalem, to the synagogue there, uh, to Ahimelech, who's the priest at the synagogue. The priest, Ahimelech, trembled when he met him, and he asked, why are you here alone? Why is no one with you? Now, you need to understand, David probably, because this town is in proximity, he's probably gone through there multiple times, but each time he's come, he's come with kind of an entourage. After all, he's one of the princes of Israel, and, and security guards and all of that. But now David's showing up alone, and Ahimelech goes, this is weird. This would be like Joe Biden showing up at your house by himself. And you're like okay, uh, where's the secret service? Something's got to be wrong. What are you doing here, Joe? Right? So that's the moment uh, that happens. Verse 2, David, David answered Ahimelech, uh, the priest, uh, uh, the king sent me. Yeah, that's it. The, the king sent me. Now you get that's not true. You get that in this moment, 
As David has chosen to respond to the fear of Saul, and now he's running scared, here comes a priest, and the priest is saying, hey, what are you doing, and what's this about? And here's what David doesn't know. Is Ahimelech with Saul, or is Ahimelech with me? And so in this moment, because he's already living in the scope of his fear, and it, it, it just seems right. I mean, his heart says, I, I, I got to lie. I can't tell this guy. What would happen if I told this guy I'm running from Saul? He might turn me in. And so he chooses in this moment to lie. And think about it. Guys, guys, this is a guy, as best we can tell until this moment, has lived every moment of his life with integrity. You get that this is a jumping from the tracks moment that is all about the emotion and fear that's swelling in his heart. This is a life-changing moment for David. David answered him like the priest, the king, uh, yeah, yeah, the king sent me on a mission and he said to me, um, um, uh, no one, no one is to know anything, so don't say anything about me being here. No one's to know anything about the mission I'm sending you on. As for my men, you know, the men you were asking about, um, uh, uh, I told them, I told them to meet me um, um, in, a, in a certain place. There's a certain place I'm meeting those men, you know, that I can't tell you because it's secret. Uh, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, uh, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Okay. David replied, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You get this as round two here, right? You, you get, oh, yeah, yeah, the men that I don't really have that are meeting me in a certain place. Oh, yeah, those guys have kept themselves from women. Yeah. David replied, indeed, the, the women have been kept uh, from us as usual. I mean, whenever I set out, <laughs> the men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today since I'm on the secret mission from the king? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. And since there was no bread except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, here, here's what I get in the moment. So part of the tabernacle worship is you would take some bread, you would set it on a table as an offering to the Lord. Now, nobody thought the Lord ate it or anything weird like that. It, it was more a symbolic thing that said, look, we're going to take the first fruits of our harvest, we're going to give that to the Lord so the Lord knows he has first place in our lives. And they would put that bread on the table as an offering to him. And when it got old and kind of stale, they'd replace it with new and fresh bread. And in that moment, the priests could eat it because they were part of the household of God. Or uh, they would just throw it away, but the ordinary person was not to have access to it because it had been set aside for God's purposes, okay? David is about to take that bread. Verse 7, now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite. Now, you want to catch this guy's name because he's going to show up later in the story. But here's the deal. He's not an Israelite. He's an Edomite. Uh, which is a, a neighboring area that the Israelites had conquered shortly before this. What we don't know is, is he a conscripted slave or is he a mercenary? We don't know that. We just know he's in the service of Saul. And now he's overhearing this conversation between David and Ahimelech, okay? Uh, so one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, 
Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because, I mean, the mission, the king's, I mean, it was so urgent. The king said, go as fast as you can, David. And so I didn't have time to pack because I'm on the king's urgent mission. And, and so do you happen to have a sword? The priest replied, uh, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the Valley of Elah is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. The ephod is simply the robe that the priest wore. And if you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. That day, that day David fled from Saul and he went to Achish, king of Gath. Now catch the moment. On, on first glance, you may go, hey, Lynn, I, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem all that bad. It doesn't seem that big. But you realize, you realize that David has started down a path that's going to lead him to a really, really dark place in a few minutes. And he's done it based on the emotion of the moment. Uh, Saul's come after him. He, his heart has said, David, the answer is run. It's not a moment to have faith. It's not a moment to stand in the Lord. It's not a moment to trust that God will deliver. David, run. And he now lives in the emotion of the moment. And because he's already started the journey of that emotion, he now comes to someone who's in uh, unthreatening as a priest, and he doesn't know if Ahimelech is with Saul or with him. And so now in the emotion of that moment, he chooses to lie. He, he's, it's just bam, bam, bam. We used to have a guy on staff here. His name was Ron Merrill. Anyone remember? Okay. All right. Great guy. And, uh, but he was here on staff, and before he ever came on staff here, uh, he had been serving uh, in a church in California, and they decided to promote him to be their youth pastor. And the guy who had been his youth pastor was being promoted to a more executive level in the church. And so as Ron was coming on and taking on that new assignment, his mentor, his youth pastor who was being promoted, sat Ron down and said, Ron, you're getting ready to step up, and, and that means you're gonna, be, you're gonna get exposed to a whole bunch of things you've never been exposed to before. Uh, you're, you're gonna have moments in your life uh, where you're gonna have temptation, and your heart's gonna want to go there. See, the truth is, Ron, you're a good-looking guy. There, there's all sorts of young girls in the youth group, and there's gonna be young girls who are working on your youth team, and you're, and you're single, and there's going to come a moment when you're counseling and, and something emotional is going to click in that moment and you're going to know and she's going to know. And when that moment comes, Ron, you're going to have about three seconds to make your decision. And during those three seconds, your heart is going to be screaming, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But what you do next will change your life, Ron. And what you need to think through, what you need to process before that moment ever comes is what would happen after the moment. What would happen in the life of that young lady when it gets exposed that you guys have been messing around? What would, what would happen to your ministry here at the church when it all comes to light? What's on the other side of those three seconds, Ron? 
And you need to have thought that through so clearly that when those three seconds of emotion come, you've already got your answer. And you don't slip into the emotion of the moment. How powerful. How powerful would it have been in the life of David as, as when he began to flee Saul, if he would have said, okay, whoa, 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 my, my life's getting ready to go on a whole new journey right now. I'm going to get confronted by people. People are going to ask me why I'm not with Saul, what's going on, it's happening. And in that moment, I'm going to have a decision to make, and I'm going to decide now, before the fear and the trepidation of that moment come, I'm going to tell the truth, or I'm not going to tell anything at all. But I refuse to let the emotion of that moment, the fear of that moment, to cause me to lie and give away my integrity. You realize how powerfully different this story is going to turn out if David had had the three-second rule in place. There are moments in your life. That there, there are moments in your life where emotion is going to hit you square on. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you that in that moment, your heart's going to say, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's all right. I, I know it's not biblically right, I know it's not part of your character, but it's okay. It's what your heart will tell you. See, you'll, you'll be sitting uh, out to lunch with one of your friends, and they'll start gossiping about somebody else in your group, and, and you'll find yourself joining in, and in that moment, you'll begin to check up, and your heart will go, no, 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 no. This just feels so good. It feels so good to kind of lift myself up by tearing somebody else down, and it's okay. It's all right. And if you haven't already processed in your heart what it means for your friend to find out what you said, for the person you gossiped with to forever put you in the category of saying, I always wonder what they are saying when they're not in my presence. If you haven't already figured out that when that moment comes and your heart says it's okay, that your answer is, I will not exalt myself by demeaning a friend ever, you'll go the wrong way. It's interesting uh, in the story of David, you get that he, do, he doesn't get to stop after one lie. He doesn't get to say, okay, one and done. That Ahimelech keeps kind of questioning him. Ahimelech keeps saying, well, hey, wait a minute, and where are your men? Have they been kept from sleeping with women? You know, and, and, and David just has to keep lying on top of lie on top of lie. And guys, here's what you need to know. This always happens. When you lean back on the skis, when you begin to live your life in the emotion of the moment instead of by what is right, you realize you lose control. You will start downhill rapidly, and it is horrendously hard to stop that momentum in your life. I'm 16 years old, and I'm teaching Sunday school at my church. I was junior boys Sunday school teacher. And uh, back in those days, uh, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, we, we would do a thing called visitation. Anybody ever heard of visitation? Okay, you got to hear. Visitation is this horrible thing. Uh, here's what you do. You go and visit people from the church who haven't been at church for a while, unannounced. So what you do is you wait till dinner time, till they're busy and eating their meal. You go and ring their doorbell because you know they'll be at home during that time. They're sitting there going, oh, great, Jehovah Witnesses. And then they come to the door and you go, surprise, 
and then you invite them to church because it's the loving thing to do. So uh, they send me out on visitation, and so I'm visiting that night. I'm visiting parents of some of the boys who were in my junior boys' Sunday school class, and so I happen to be at Timmy's parents' house. And so I get there, I ring the doorbell, they come, stand at the door, and, and, and I say to them, hey, we just want to invite you to church and come sometime. You haven't been there yet. And, and I just think it'd be so powerful for Timmy to have his parents coming. You guys could talk about the Bible lesson when it's over. I just think it'd be a really cool thing to do. And they looked at me and they said, look, we're okay with Timmy riding the bus and coming to church. Uh, we figure he probably gets some moral value out of that. But we are never going to church. We've already tried the God thing. We are not into the God thing. We will never be into the God thing. We are not going to go anywhere near a church. That's our answer, period. Now it's about three weeks, four weeks in the future. Uh, I'm teaching junior boys uh, Sunday school class. And the lesson that day is about how important it is to share our faith with our friends. So I have been in the lesson and, and I've been saying to the kids, look, here's the deal. This is, this is important stuff because you realize that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus live in eternity apart from God. Which means telling your friends is a big deal. This is, this is important. And there's people that you love that need to hear this story. And I said, so some of you have got friends at school who have never figured out Jesus in their lives. You need to tell your friends at school about Jesus. And matter of fact, some of you play on your block with friends every single day who have never, ever invited Jesus in their heart. You need to stop, take a time, tell your friends on your block about Jesus. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see Timmy. And so I turn and I say, and matter of fact, Timmy, your parents really need Jesus. I talked to him the other night. <laughs> you ever had one of those moments that as it was, A couple weeks later, we're on a youth activity, and uh, my senior pastor, uh, Ed Perkins. Ed Perkins is about this tall, but he was mean as a nail. I mean, he was a hard man. And Ed Perkins has taken us out, and we're on this youth activity. And as we're driving along, my senior pastor turns to me and says, hey, I got a phone call the other night from Timmy's parents, and they said that you told Timmy they're going to hell. <laughs> now, in that moment, guys, I'm just telling you, in that moment, my heart seized up. See, I, man, I, I can't even tell you the fear that came over me in that moment. Anybody want to guess what I did next? I lied. I just said, no, 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 I would never do that. Not a chance. No way. Timmy's mistaken. My pastor says, oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. We go off. We have the youth activity. Now we're driving home from the youth activity. Pastor pulls off the freeway, pulls into a neighborhood. Anybody want to guess what neighborhood? <laughs> Timmy's neighborhood. We pull up to Timmy's house. We walk up to the door. The rest of these groups sitting in the car. We go inside. Pastor Perkins says, hey, okay, uh, Lynn just told me that he never said anything like that. Lynn, why don't you tell them what you said? You get that once you start down the path, it's really, really hard to get off the path. And if it had been fearful to be honest with my pastor, now I got my pastor sitting there, I got Timmy's parents sitting there. And I lied. And I said, oh, but no, and then I've learned, well, 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 sort of, and I go, ah, no, ah. 
you get in that moment, Timmy sat right there across from me. So he watched as his Sunday school teacher called him a liar. Timmy never came back. And I don't know. I don't know. I, did Timmy ever go back to church? Or did he go, hey, if my Sunday school teacher could throw me under the bus and lie like that, I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't know. To this day, I don't know the damage I caused. Because it's hard. It's hard once you start down that hill. It's hard once you lean back on your skis to turn it around. It's interesting in the story, uh, did you catch it at the very end? It says, and David, after he gets the sword, he runs off, he flees to Gath. Did you catch that part? And I know you and I are going, ah, oh, big deal, some little town next door. No, 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 no. It's a big deal. Back the Bible up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. David is getting ready to go take the field against Goliath, and here's what it says. And Goliath was the champion of the Philistines from Gath. You realize the very town that David flees to is the town of his enemies. And not only just his enemies, it's the hometown of Goliath. How whacked out is that? How, how far off track are we at this point? That, that David is at a place where the enemies of God feel like his friends. You guys, I'm just going to say this out loud. If you ever find yourself in a moment where people who are far from God feel like better friends to you than the people of God, your life's out of whack. You don't even have to ask. Your life's out of whack. When the people who are far from God feel like better friends than the people of God. Now here's the deal. What started out and seemed like a small lie and just a little thing, you realize this thing, this thing gets even worse. Here's what happens. Remember Doeg? Remember the guy, the servant of Saul who overheard the whole conversation? Guess where he goes? He goes to Saul and he reports everything he saw. He goes, look, here's the deal. David was running away from you. He ended up in the tabernacle with Ahimelech or in the, in the synagogue with Ahimelech. Ahimelech gave him food. Ahimelech gave him a sword, and you want to, Ahimelech prayed over him. And so Saul, just filled with rage and filled with anger, says, well, bring Ahimelech. Matter of fact, bring Ahimelech's old family. And they bring Ahimelech in, and he comes before Saul, and Saul says, what in the world are you doing? Why, why would you aid my enemy? And Ahimelech says, well, what are you talking about, Saul? David's not your enemy. He's your best servant. And he told me that he was on your mission, that you had given him this secret mission to do, and, and I thought I was helping you. And Saul says, I don't believe it. You helped the guy that I'm trying to kill. And watch what happens in the moment. Watch what happens to Ahimelech, an absolutely innocent man, because of the emotional run that David is on. It's chapter 22, so it's just a page over. It's verse 17. And then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. Guess what side of Saul's life he's leaning into right now? 
what feels right to his heart. But the king's officials were unwilling uh, to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. And then the king ordered Doeg, our old friend, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod, 85 priests. He put also, he also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with all of its men, all of its women, its children and infants, and its cattle and donkeys and sheep. Do you realize hundreds of people died because of the ill-lived moments of David's life? And the guys, look, look, look. I get it. I get that David never even considered it could get this far. He had no idea. It just seemed like such a harmless little lie at the beginning. But guys, this is where, when you and I lean back on the ski, when you and I say, look, look, I know it's not right, and I know it's not what I probably ought to do, but I'm just telling you, my heart's telling me this is what I have to do right now. This, this, is, this is what has to happen. It's, it's, it's in my marriage, and I'm sitting there in that moment, and I'm going, hey, my spouse hasn't been neglectful, and, 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 and it just feels so dry and worn out, and suddenly there's a coworker at work or a neighbor down the street or somebody that we reconnected with Facebook, and you go, wow, man, this is it. This is, this is the brass ring, and if I don't grab now, if I… And I don't care what your heart's saying in that moment. Where this ends way beyond what you're thinking about right now. This ends up being a huge lesson for us because Scripture is going to come back and say what you and I do in that three seconds of emotion, what you and I do when our hearts put us in check is huge. And so here's what the Bible prescribes. So grab your Bible one last time this morning and go with me to 2 Corinthians it's what David should have done in the moment. It's what you and I should have done before we jumped into the emotion of it. It's 2 Corinthians. And if you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're going to find this book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you've got 3 Corinthians, you've got the wrong Bible. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And here's what it says. We, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then catch the phrase, ready? And we take captive every thought, every emotion to make it obedient to Christ. And here, here's what Scripture's saying. Scripture's saying, look, in that moment, when, when your heart starts to run amok, when, when it starts to go sideways, that what you and I have got to do in that moment is take that thought, take that emotion captive and say, no, 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 no. I know, I know this feels real. I know that this feels terrifying, but it doesn't line up with the truth of God. And therefore, I will not lean back into this moment. I will instead lean forward into truth. 
This is the single girl who when she comes and is confronted with the truth of Scripture that says, come on, that guy doesn't know you're Jesus. He cannot possibly be the right guy for you. And in fear, she seizes up and she goes, oh, oh, I can't let him go. That instead, you ready for this? She takes captive that fear and says, here's what I know. If God is asking me to lean forward in faith, I am willing to trust him that if I let him go, he will bring me someone 10 times better to replace him. See, this is, this is the businessman and he's getting ready and the end of the month is coming up and he's got a deal kind of hanging in the balance and now they say to him, hey, can you deliver the product in two weeks? And he knows he can't. He knows there's no chance in the world, but if he tells them they're 45 days out, there's no way they're signing the order. And something in his heart says, oh yeah, sure, sure we can deliver in two weeks. Because what's gonna happen if he doesn't get the deal? And what's the paycheck gonna look like at the end of the month with only 40%? And how do you pay your bills? And every part of his emotion says, lie your way through it. And instead he says, no, I'm going to take that captive. And I'm going to tell the truth. Because, 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 you ready? I believe that my God is able to provide my need, even without my help. Taking captive what my heart is saying. Here's where this lands for you and me. I promise you in this room that any of us who are here today and you go, Lynn, I know. I know I've got an area of my life. I know I've got a place that I haven't brought in compliance to Christ. I, I, I know I've got a part of me that I'm living completely out of obedience to, to the Bible and to what the Bible and Scripture would say. Can we be honest for a moment? Because here's what I know even without asking you. That if I say to you, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you living that part of your life in disobedience? That right on the other side of that disobedience is an emotion. It's an emotion of fear. It's an emotion of insecurity or dread. And you just say, I can't. I'm so intimidated by what might happen. I'm so fearful of what could be next and you're leaning back on your skis. And I just want to invite you today to reconsider that. Because this ends ugly. And to choose today to take that emotion and hold it captive. To say, look, I, I know how my heart feels. I, I, I know what's prompting my hesitation but I'm going to take that thought, that emotion captive, and I am today going to lean forward into my God and simply obey. I'm going to do that. It wasn't a giant that defeated David. It was his emotions. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to a moment and, and some of us in this room have to be honest today and say, I, I know, I know I've got an area of my life that I have 
absolutely leaned back in. An area of my life that I have just refused to bring under the lordship and obedience of Jesus Christ. And if I'm honest today, it's because of my heart. It's because the moment I think about giving that to God, my heart seizes up. I am overcome with fear. Fear may be real, but fear very often is not truthful. So God, I'm just going to pray that literally hundreds of people in this room today would lean forward. They would take captive those thoughts. They would take captive their fears and simply say, I'm going to lean into the goodness of my God and trust him. Trust him for the moment. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.